Uh, my name is Myra Joanne Darinor, also known as Belle La Poet. Uh, I'm passionate about poetry. I have my first poetry book that just came out uh, this week. Uh, I compete in poetry competitions. I write. I'm a dancer, a chore choreographer. I direct my own short stories and um, also videos, music videos. I'm a writer, songwriter, and also I am an author and uh, last but not least, a nurse. But I'm just a passionate person. Like, I'm just an artistic person. So all of it is a different component of me, myself. So whatever it is I'm thinking, or it feels like I'm about to put out into writing what's sitting in the treasure box of my mind. Was talking to someone, a friend, and I was like, hey, what you think about this? You know, I was just starting in the poetry game. And he was like, it's not that good. I feel like I wrote it for every girl who's questioning. Like, I used to be like, why did God hate me that he made me black? And even worse, I was like, an even worse Haitian. And like, the moment where I realized the darkness, the depression, the anxiety, the moment I was like, all right, this is real. I'm in a dark hole and I don't feel like I could get out. Not this time. I used to be very suicidal. And to be suicidal doesn't mean you're gonna commit suicide. Being suicidal can also be just obsessed with the thought of dying, the thought of either killing yourself or the thought of simply dying. You get what I'm saying? So I used to like, the world would be better without me. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash edtalks and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. So download a free trial today and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash edtalks. How's it going, powerful people? My name is Edouard Gilles, and you're tuning in to yet another episode of the Unlimited Power Show. This show is all about growth in all aspects of your life. So how do we do that? We bring you people from all different walks of life to talk about their journey, their lessons, and their passions. This is a show fueled by passion. I'm sitting here with Mara Joanne Derenor, and she's going to introduce herself to you. Introduce herself and tell you what she's passionate about, what she cares about, and what she does. So, Mara. Yes. How are you doing? I am well and happy to be here. I'm blessed. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. So, you, I mean, you traveled to be here. What, you, what were you doing earlier today? Well, well, I drove from Orlando to Fort Pierce for a book reading event for my book that is sitting right here, My Black is Beautiful. And also, then I drove here. So, I'm here. So, Mara, mm -hmm. why don't you tell us what you're all about? Why don't you give us an introduction about you? what you're passionate about and what you do. Okay, so uh, my name is Myra Joanne Darinor, also known as Belle La Poet. Um, I'm also a poet, so we're gonna throw that one right out the way. Okay. Uh, I'm passionate about poetry. I have my first poetry book that just came out uh, this week, which we can talk about later on. Uh, I compete in poetry competitions. I write. Uh, I'm a dancer, a chore choreographer. Uh, I, I got my dance degree from Barry. I also am a director. I direct my own short stories and um, also videos, music videos. I'm a writer, songwriter, and also I am an author. And uh, last but not least, a nurse. Okay. So you do a lot of different things. What is your main passion? <laughs> 
Okay, my main passion. Ooh, that's a tough one. All of it. I'm just a passionate person. Like, I'm just an artistic person. So all of it is a different component of me, myself. So to be honest, all of it. So you're a passionate person. You have a lot of different things that you express your passion to. Like, when you was a kid, were you always this talented? Or, I mean, how did your, your story go as a kid? Yeah, yeah. As a kid, I loved to read and write. And then, you know, in Florida, there's this thing that they set up known as the FCAT. I think it's a, it has a different name now. But um, during fourth grade, I believe, they get you ready for the writing FCAT. So um, we started, like, going more into writing essays or writing longer uh, stories or whatever the case may be. And then so our teacher was getting us ready for the writing FCAT and I would write and write and write. And then I just always would go up to her and be like, how do you spell blah, blah, blah? Cause you know, at that point it's like, I, I knew the words I wanted to use, but I didn't know how to spell them because I just was not at that level, you know, to understand how to spell them. And then she was just so impressed. She was like, how do you even know that word? Like she, she just couldn't wrap her head around it. But I wrote, I wrote my essay and then FCAT came along, did my essay and then um, I had the highest score. I got the highest score, yeah. You got the highest score in the FCAT? Yeah, That's what's up. The, the writing FCAT. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, do you think those tests were matching up to, to your level of, do you think they were challenging enough for you? <laughs> I mean, when you think of tests, you think of a challenge mm -hmm. until you actually get there. But once I got there, it was like, you know what? I love to write, so go ahead, throw it at me. I'd rather an, an essay over an exam any day, to be honest, because I love to write. So. so you love to write. What's that feeling you get when you're sitting down on your computer and you're about to type something? I mean, how do you feel inside? I feel like I'm about to release. Release, release what? Release whatever it is I'm feeling or whatever it is I'm thinking or it feels like I'm about to put out into writing what's sitting in the treasure box of my mind. Mm. Yeah, because like in writing and creating stories and plots and all of this, it started, you know, while I was young because um, when I was a little girl, I would play with my dolls. I had like thousands of dolls. And um, I used to sit and play with them for hours because my older brother and the other kids, they'll hog the remote. So I was like, you know what, whatever, I'm not even about to fight. So I'll just go create my own little show in my room. Like it was, it used to go down. <laughs> I, I, I would create the story, create, where they lived, how they lived, or, you know, just making stories, making stories for the dolls. And then- And what think, age is this? I was what, I was in elementary. So like maybe third grade. So that's probably what, eight years old or seven. But ever since I was young, I always had dolls from daycare going all, growing all the way up. Finally, when I got to middle school, I was like, all right, <laughs> you know, like, sorry guys, I got homework to do. Kind of like Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, I got I got grown people, middle school stuff to do. I can't be playing with dolls anymore. So that's kind of where the whole playing and the whole imagination thing kind of, you know, stopped. But then it continued with writing assignments or with writing or just writing in my diary. So so writing has always been a significant part. And you said that from the treasure chest, treasure chest of your mind. Yes. Yes, because there's a lot that goes on in there. So, you know, once I get the release, it's like, whew, I could breathe. So it's like there's a real, your work is a form of release. So would you say that this book that you wrote there, does this have anything to do with your childhood self? Did you think you wrote that book for yourself or you wrote it how you felt? I mean, what was the reason of you writing the, the first book? The first book, My Black is Beautiful, definitely. Mm -hmm. If I was a little girl, and I was given this book, you know, I feel like it could have helped with a lot. Cause growing up, you know, now being black is being more of a, a good thing right. than it was versus back then when we were growing up. Like I didn't see people with like their natural hair or like dark girls. I didn't see them in movies or commercials. I always saw either 
mixed people. <laughs> that was the blackest it got. Like, yes. that's just yes. what it is in commercials. Like Pocahontas. And everything, yeah. That was the blackest it got. It was the, the lighter people or, or, or the, the curly, coily. My hair don't do that. <laughs> like, that's just not my hair. It doesn't do that. Um, so... I feel like I wrote it for every girl who's questioning. Like, I used to be like, why did God hate me that he made me black? And even worse, I was like, an even worse Haitian. Why would God hate me to me? I, I don't know. I just felt like maybe God favored people who had straighter hair, more curlier hair, or, you know, mm -hmm. you get what I'm saying? I was like, I don't get why God hates us like that, that he would do that. But then it's like, why? Now, the biggest question for me is why was that my thought process at seven, eight, nine years old? Why was I questioning my self-worth, my self-acceptance to that extreme, to the point where I had to question my whole existence, thinking that, you know, a greater power hated me and cursed me but then when you think about it, being black is not a curse. It's actually a blessing. Like, we absorb sunlight. <laughs> you know, we're light-filled. So it's like, why? That was my biggest question now that I'm older and I'm happy, you know, we're seeing more black. And I hope that's a trend that keeps going. I, I hope that we stay on the cover of magazines, you know? Like, and I believe in equality, yeah? People who are lighter do live in America, but then again, there's also black people who live in America, and we should we need to be seeing everything. Like it's not just one-sided, one-sided, one-sided. And I I love the movement that's going on where we're becoming more aware of how being black is. Be Back in the day, like you would call somebody, man, you dark. Like you know, you'll yeah. cut somebody. That was a curse word. Like you, you just you, you black. You black. <laughs> And you go, you feel so bad about you, you it. You blacker than black, like, or don't make the black jokes, and that was like that was just devastating. She like, I don't want to be black. Like, I remember I used to run a lot, so I'd be in the sun, and I and I get that sun black. Yeah, that sun blackness, and somebody be like. Damn, boy, you got black and black yeah, hair. Exactly. Like, why are we teaching our kids to stay out in the sun? I mean, it's ingrained in the culture, too, because I remember my mom, she she used to use a lot of um, soaps that makes her lighter. And I always wondered, That's even now, thing, now, I get, yeah. now I get really mad. I, not mad, but I'd be like, Mom, because I get, because I, I, I'm like, I don't trust these soaps, what they're doing to your skin. I don't know how, like, Come it's on, relatable now. to cancer. So I'm like, Mom, you can't be using this skin. You're already beautiful. Yeah. So it's like finding that inner beauty, you know, it's like finding that inner peace within yeah. you. Um, you know, the thing, what you're saying about hair, now you mentioned that her hair is as curly and as soft as a lamb's wool. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing in the Bible, it expresses um, Jesus' feet being burnt and also something about wool, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, 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 it's putting that beauty in, in, in what we already are, what we already have inside exactly. of, you know, exactly. on, outside of us. It's just shifting the perspective. Shifting the perspective. And you believe that these books are, can actually start shifting that narrative. My, oh yes, for sure. My favorite is when little girls, they get the book, like at a book signing, book reading, whatever it may be. And they're like, I look like her. That's my favorite thing to hear. When the little girls look at Princess Belle and they're like, she looks like me. She looks like me. And I, I don't know, that's just the, the most deep it could get. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I see myself on the cover of something, you know, and I want that movement to continue. Like, imagine how many young black girls are questioning themselves right now. And it, it's not their fault. It's not their fault, and especially back when we were younger. I mean, we're not that old, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? But at the same time, you know, it was a little bit different when yeah, we were it kids. It was, it was different, Most you know? Is. And even um, Kiki Palmer talks about it. She was like, yeah, you wouldn't see a girl like me really in the movies. And she even uh, speaks about it in her interview. I believe she did with uh, Charlemagne the God on The Breakfast Club. So, you know, it's like, it was different back in the day, but now things are changing and I want the movement to continue. So that's the whole point of the book. Like, we gotta keep fueling it. You know, we can't let the fire go out on black being beautiful.
So, I mean, how did you start to recognize your self-worth? Like, what was that process of self-discovery when you started to realize? Because you, you shift your mindset. When did you start to realize? I looked in the mirror and I was like, girl, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, when did I start to shift? I don't know. It just kind of happened where I started noticing different features of me. Mm -hmm. I was like, dang, I like my eyes. Mm -hmm. They kind of nice. Mm -hmm. Then I went to, and a lot of people complimented my skin too. So, so it was kind of like an outward and inward thing, like outward contribution and inward contribution. So people were like, your skin looks very soft or people would like accidentally touch me. They're like, whoa, your skin is super soft. Like, or someone will, <laughs> okay, it's, I mean, it's that's, soft. that's what they say. So I, you know, I don't know. I can't argue with them. And then um, people just kept commenting on stuff like, you know, which, made me feel beautiful and it wasn't just people it was white girls white girls were like you, you you're beautiful you're so sweet and then that's another thing that Belle goes through in the book she's she's crying because she doesn't feel like she meets up to these girls beauty and then it's the girls who actually contribute to her having a greater value of self-esteem because they're like I like your hair I like this I like that I, you know and it was that extrinsic value that was contributed into her life which made her even like all right you know what maybe i am beautiful maybe i do belong at this tea party which is held in my country mm -hmm. which is crazy you know so i believe it started shifting after the comments and then after i i started just looking in the mirror like damn i i actually am beautiful you know so you got that, that reinforcement kind of allowed you to build up your self-confidence yes. and then start to do, I mean, a lot of these things you're doing now, when did you start to believe that you can make these come into fruition? I mean, when did that sense of belief come for you? Like what age? making the book? Like writing the book or um, I know um, you've been dancing for a long time. Yeah, I've been dancing for years. For years, I took dancing like more serious when I went into college because I got a dance scholarship. And then um, from there is when I took my first ballet class. I had my first ballet class at 18. And I felt horrible. <laughs> I was horrible. It was like, just throw me in the trash, you know? But now that I, I grew from it, and I'm not taking ballet right now, but I feel like ballet taught me a lot, a lot in life. Like, it helped me to have structure, discipline, you know? So I feel like that contributed to it and also um from another aspect of life where i started and i was like all right let's get some books started is i always did poetry so poetry gets all the props you know because poetry is where it kind of started um, um i used poetry to express myself because it was kind of hard to express myself what I was feeling. I feel like when I was younger growing up, I had a lot of anger issues I was dealing with, especially growing up in a domestically violent home. Like, you know, it's like some things you just can't talk about, yeah, or you don't know how to talk about, you don't even know if it's normal. You know, it's like a lot of the questions that go on. So I'll just, it was, it's hard. And even now as a woman, like I still, I still explain to people like, hey, you know, it's a little hard for me to express myself. It's a little hard to really let you know Know, but it's something I'm, I'm continuing to work on but poetry I let it all out and the best feeling I ever got in poetry is I'll be up on stage talking about the the deepest thing that was happening in my life and no one knew but at the same time I expressed it to everyone so it was kind of like a win-win mm -hmm. the audience enjoys it I get to express myself so then I wrote the poem my black is beautiful and a lesson I learned from that when I first wrote it I um, was talking to someone, a friend, and I was like, hey, what you think about this? You know, I was just starting in the poetry game. And he was like, it's not that good. That's what he said to me. I was like, okay. He was like, yeah, it's not that good. I don't really remember um, the full detail that he had for me, but basically he was basically saying like, it wasn't that good. It's not, it's not really gonna go far. And then I was like, all right, you know, you, you take the good, you leave the bad, basically. 
So I started performing it. That was my number one poem that everyone who booked me requested. That poem that imagine if I crumpled up and threw it away, you know? And not only that, but it led a path and made a way for a whole book to be written. You get what I'm saying? The book is basically the children's version of the poem, My Black is Beautiful. Cause I was like, how can I write this? Cause yeah, this is a, for women, but how can I write it for children to understand? How can I write it in the language of a child? So then I went ahead and I, you know, took the words and just made it into a story. I just made it into a story. I was like, where do I want her to live? What, what kind of life do I want her to have? She's royalty, you know? She lives at Palais Sans Souci in Haiti, you know, embracing Haiti's culture and history. So, you know, it's a big highlight. <laughs> so, you know, the first thing you wanted to do, the first poem, I guess this poem, My Black is Beautiful, so many self-doubt and you did it anyways. You went I past that it. and it turned out to be, you know, that's like the rhetoric of so many success stories. Yep. People thought this was horrible. It got denied and turned out it was really great. Yep. It's just that the, the person who's behind it had to have that sense of belief yep. in it so much. Imagine if I took the opinion of one person. Yeah. Just imagine, just like I was listening uh, to a sermon, I believe, he was like, that's why sometimes when you're talking about your dreams and stuff, God approves you in private. Because once you go on social media or whatever, you and you're like, oh, I'm about to start blah, 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 that's when people start drowning your dreams. That's when they start, you know, bashing it and hitting it. And then you're like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't even. So I just think to myself, what if I threw this poem away? Oh. You'd have thrown so many of those hidden treasures exactly. within you. Every time you throw something you've invested your soul into, you're, you're throwing away part exactly. of your own inner hid, hidden treasure, mm -hmm. and you're diminishing some of that treasure because you're more reluctant to want to like, oh, exactly. let me do something else. And you, you think, oh, somebody's going to say it's not good enough, they're going to deny it, and you just, you just never do it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they say there's this one quote, I really, it's like to put anything else out is to risk to lose it. So to, to speak is to risk to lose. Every Everything yeah. that you, you express is to risk to lose that idea. But if you really keep it, then it's something you can never, yep. never truly lose. Nurture it like a seed, basically. So I know you're Haitian, right? And you're also a nurse. <laughs> So I feel like I know where this question is going. <laughs> so you fit right into the, into the stereotype. But however, you're not just a nurse. You're an author. You're a poet. You're a dancer. You're an artist. Pretty much you're an artist that, that express in different formats. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, why is it that nursing is still part of your profession when you have so many other passions? Listen. Tell me, where did that Even come? my coworkers at work be like, what are you doing here? And I look at them like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> so basically, let me, let, me get, let me get to the knit grit of this. <laughs> the knit grit. Okay, so basically, going in school, I was like, okay, what do I want to do? And I love, love, love science. Even though I'm into the arts, I love science. And um, I've always wanted to be a travel nurse. I wanted to change the world, basically. I wanted to bring help and aid into, you know, underserved populations, community countries, especially going to Haiti. Since I was young, I would see, you know, how the some of the people were living over there. And then, you know, so that definitely influenced my decision for what I want to do. So that's why I became a nurse. Cause it's like, I love people and I love seeing people get better. Now, does it have its challenges? Yes, yes, it does. It does have its challenges, you know, dealing with people and this and that. But I think the best thing that I get from when I'm caring for a patient or whatever is coming back the next day and seeing them better. It does something in me I can't even explain to you. Mm -hmm. But like, even though I'm so artistic, it's still that other passion too, like mm -hmm. helping someone, just mm -hmm. 
helping someone, you know, to get better. And uh, when I was younger, I would always be sick. I used to miss out on a lot of school. And like, I just had a weak stomach. Like my stomach couldn't hold anything, always throwing up. Like I, and I, you know, thank God for my parents, but every time I called, they had to come pick me up. And there, it came to a point in high school, like I think, one year, I missed like a whole total of 55 days or something like that. I don't remember, but it was a lot of days. A lot of days, like, so, and I know what it feels like to be sick. I know what it feels like to need. I know what it feels like to be helpless in a sense. So I think that fueled me wanting to become a nurse. And you know, it has its challenges, it does, but at the same time, it's rewarding too. And then a lot of people are like, but you're so artistic, you know, what what happened? Or one thing I told myself, but now I'm kind of taking it back. I used to tell myself, I don't want to be a struggling artist. That's, and that, that's kind of another reason why I was like, all right, nursing is plan A. And now I'm actually doing nursing. I'm like, yo, in real life, nursing is starting to become plan A because it's requiring so much of me that it's leaving plan B, you know, a little, you know, is, yeah, on the back burner. So I was like, okay, um, this needs to stop. I need to find a balance. So right now in my life is about finding that balance. Like, it's like, you know, some poetry slams or some, some open mic will be going down and it's like, damn, I'm at work. <laughs> so now it's like I told myself I don't want to be a struggling artist and nursing is plan A, but now it's like real life. So now it's to the point it's like, okay, what you about to do about it? You hear what I'm saying? But the whole uh nursing thing <laughs> you said cause you're Haitian. <laughs> um I mean I'm not gonna lie, being Haitian did kind of fuel it in my life too. It's so many different factors that contribute to it. Yeah. Um but I remember when I got that dance scholarship, I was so happy. Oh my God, it was like the best day of my life. Cause I went to that audition and I was like, you might as well just throw me away, <laughs> basically. Just just throw the whole person away. <laughs> I was bad, <laughs> but thank God for my dance instructor. And she knows, I tell her. Cause I'm like, listen, when I first got here, I was like, oh my God. But you know, it, it allowed me to grow into my purpose and what I was supposed to do. But the whole nursing thing after I told my dad, I was like, hey, daddy, you know, I got a scholarship for dance, you know, excited, like, hey, it's about to go down. He was like, who does? I was like, yeah, nursing And then he was like, Oh, kid, I pay nursing Like basically he was he was saying like I I told him it's, it's a scholarship and even though I'm dancing it pays for my academics. It right. pays for whatever I wanna be. And I I told him it's gonna pay for me to do nursing. He was like, Oh, for nursing. Okay, I feel you. Well, congrats. But if it was for like me just saying, yeah, I want to dance, it'll been like, what? Right, yeah. And what another thing when I was in high school, the the what do you call the director maybe of the dance team? I was like, yeah, I want to do dance and whatever. She's like, dance? You're too smart for that. That's what she said to me. And now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, what does that mean? I mean, it's a compliment, but it's like. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It's like I am smart and I, I I can be whatever I put my mind to, but it's like, you know, I don't know. That just made me question the whole dance thing. Mm. I mean, dancing yourself, that's a different that's a different that's a different intelligence. It is. You know, you you, you have physical intel you could have your body could have its own intelligence. Yeah, like athletes have a physical intelligence. Same thing. My um my teacher was telling me like when I was in science class, this teacher told me, yeah, your strong point was your physical, you had a physical intelligence or something like that. It was like, you'd probably be better at this area. And she was kind of slightly saying that my academics. <laughs> was that cutting in for her class? For her class. Because I wasn't that great of a science guy. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I, I graduated 5.2 top of That's my class. That's what I'm saying. Like... Summa cum laude. And... <laughs> 
it was like sometimes people will start to judge your what you're doing off their own limiting beliefs. Exactly. You know what I mean? And exactly. and surpassing those beliefs, you have to find that self-worth within yourself. Like you said, I told my father I had a show on TV, but he was not ecstatic about it. Oh, so it's, show. It's, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he was like, it's not gonna last long. So it's really all about you finding a purpose. And then eventually you will find a ways to merge yeah. your different purposes with your profession. To merge it, my end game right now, for sure is dance therapy. Mm. And people are like, dance therapy? I never heard of it. But dance therapy is real. It's basically, and I hope it's something that becomes more well-known. It's basically like music therapy or, you know, you sitting here speaking to a therapist, but instead of you using words, you're going through it with dance. Like, one thing I can always say to this day is dancing saved my life. Like. Cause some days were hard, but then I'll go to dance and it was just so liberating. I'll forget about everything. So dance was my therapy. And it's funny because until I was dancing, cause you know, I got my dance degree and I was doing all dance classes. It was amazing. It was the best life ever. And then I went into nursing school and then I was trying to, you know, go to ballet or whatever. And I couldn't, I couldn't because it was so demanding. And so I went through a really rough patch and that was because I wasn't dancing. What was my therapy session was not in my life anymore. So it was affecting me negatively very, very bad until I got to the point where I was like, okay, what is the way that I could balance it? So instead of dancing, I'll go to the gym. Cause it's like, I could not take a dance class. It, it, it was just so demanding. And I didn't realize the importance of dance in my life until it was taken from me. Just like they say, you never know what you have until it's gone. For me, I wanna go ahead and do dance therapy. It's something I started when I was in uh, college. I was doing a work study program where they kinda let me do my own thing. Right. So I would go into like nursing homes or whatever and have my own dance therapy program. And when I tell you, at first, the elderly people, they were like stubborn. They didn't really want to do it. They didn't really understand it. And it's, I'm talking about people with dementia, Alzheimer's, you know, participating in this, or people who just have chronic illnesses. And then after a few sessions, one day, I remember this specifically, I walked into the room, you can see their face light up. They probably don't remember me, or my name, but they definitely can associate me with the dance therapy they've been receiving. And as soon as I walk into the room, what? Mm -hmm. They get, they got so happy and lit. It's like something I can't even explain because I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm here working with people who probably won't even remember my name in the next five minutes. But once I walked into that room, they knew what time it was. They already knew we're gonna, and then uh, this one time, this woman, she, we were doing therapy sessions. She was like, you know, I don't really do this at home because it was an elderly daycare. She was like, I don't really do this at home. And I was like, okay, what's going on? Well, why don't you really do it at home? You know, um, trying to figure out her, her point and the whole, you know, story she was telling me. And she started crying. I was like, it's okay, you're gonna be okay. She was like, this is very nice. I really like to do it, but I don't have anyone at home to do it with me. And that just comes to prove how important that's becoming to her as a person. And she knew she liked it. You get what I'm saying? So, um, and now I, this year I started my business, The Boss Residence LLC. And um, the, Model for it is creating bosses for tomorrow. And I am working on starting to start my own dance therapy sessions where even if I'm not doing it in a specific location, but we go into after school programs, summer programs or elderly daycares or nursing homes and we offer dance therapy sessions. Mm. The whole time you were saying this and I was, I was looking for that, that, that reason. <laughs> So what I discovered about life is that God puts us through paths mm -hmm. and we'd be like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. Or you, may, you could have stayed in the nursing room. Why am I a nurse? Mm -hmm. I got all these talents. People ask you, why are you doing nurse? Everybody asks me that. <laughs> exactly, right? I was asking you that question. I'm <laughs> like, wondering, oh, right? Asked me that. They're but, like, when are you leaving? <laughs> but you just, you just answered the whole question and then a aha moment just hit me uh -huh. right there. 
therapy. Yes. Dance is actual therapy. It is. So the movements that you do in ballet and the stuff that I teach in medical Qigong, mm -hmm. the same acupuncture meridians that work when you're doing Tai Chi is the same acupuncture exactly. meridians that's working when you're doing ballet and exactly. dancing. So in, move, in doing these very graceful movements and like, you don't, realize you don't even it. realize it's you all therapy. It's moving it, that lymphatic brain mm -hmm. is working. That's therapy. And, and we don't realize that. How, just like I said previously, the body is split up into the, the mind, body, soul, spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, and once you're doing all of that, you come to the point where you just become in tune with everything. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to speak. You don't have to express yourself. But after you leave, you feel better. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I feel like your purpose is to mend all those into artsy <laughs> right. ways to help people in the hospitals and because yeah. the sickness there and to like yeah. put that into your work. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is simply beautiful. You, you've been blessed. Yeah, thank God. Um, you, <laughs> I think we've all been blessed, but a lot of us don't recognize that blessing because it can be drowned out by the daily stresses of life, oh, yeah. by the now. pains and agony of oh, your situations, yeah. um, which is something we were talking about earlier. Um, I mean, what are some dark moments that you had in your life? I mean, you told me some Ooh. of these beautiful, <laughs> we've talked about these really beautiful, gorgeous moments, but a lot of people don't even see the, the dark side of it, mm -hmm. the, the pain that, that yeah, paints those, those poetry that you write. Tell, tell us thing. about that. A lot of people, they're like, oh, you doing all of this? Or I don't want to say people are hating. I feel like they more so don't understand. Like, people are, you acting different now. Mm. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't, get, I don't get to be happy. I'm confused. Like, I don't know. I feel like people, they see you at the top of the hill, but they never see you walking up the hill to get to the top of the hill. So now it's like, they see all of this, all of this, all of this. What they don't know is the missing element, what created all of this. The pain, the agony, the dark moments. And, and, and I love that we're talking about it because I'm gonna go ahead and uh, talk about my, my brand new book, which came out this week. <laughs> Broken Crayon Still Color, you know, um, that book, has so much of my dark like because when people see me they're like you're such a happy person i would never imagine you upset out of you know those are people who don't know me or you know associates or whatever and then like sometimes people just like to comment on my happiness in the back of my head i'd be like little do they know what i go through <laughs> like if i tell them they're gonna think i'm lying like people be like oh you probably had the best life ever you're so beautiful like people probably really look at me like i have it all but i'm like you don't understand you don't know it took a lot of crying myself to sleep it took a lot of questioning who i was a lot of um questioning my self-worth and even now, like, I'm so scarred by traumatic moments, like, I'm still struggling. And I uh, thank God I'm, I'm getting a grasp better on things. But it's like, even now, it's still kind of hard because I still have nightmares. Still have nightmares, like, from things years ago. But, you know, and that's, that's every day. Every day is this new battle, you know? I grew up in a domestically violent home. And... I don't know why I feel like that's something maybe a lot in the Haitian culture. I'm not sure, but I can only speak from what I know. You get what I'm saying? So, but it, it was bad. I mean, I saw some crazy things and even, and even now it's like, it's still a process, you know, to even talk about it or to, you know, sometimes I sit back and I look at my life. I'm like, look at my life. Like, I'm looking at my life like, this is horrible. And people are like looking at my life like, you had the best life ever. So it's like, I mean, the darkness from, is real. From the outside looking in, right. you look amazing. But right. when you look inside and you're looking outside, inside. comparing your results, you're like, Broken things not fragments. matching that, that inside is really, yeah has that all those anxiety, stress, mm -hmm. depressive state, and these mm -hmm. things, you know, yeah. obstructing your, your full capacity to express your soul. And like, the moment where I realized the darkness, the depression, the anxiety, the moment I was like, all right, this is real. 
I'm in a dark hole and I don't feel like I could get out. Not this time. I used to be very suicidal. And to be suicidal doesn't mean you're going to commit suicide. Being suicidal can also be just obsessed with the thought of dying, the thought of either killing yourself or the thought of simply dying. You get what I'm saying? So I used to like, the world would be better without me. I was, I, the depression was becoming a lot. Um, there was this point in 2016 was like my worst year ever, but um, 2016 I hit a very rough patch, and um, you know I, I believe it, it. It was a lot of things contributing to it. I was probably a little homesick because you know um, I'm not from Miami, but I was down there for school, and then you know I felt alone in the world, and then um, I had a lot of friends in college and everything, but then they'll leave for the summer. So then during the summer, it's just like, my life, what's happening? Like, and you don't even realize how important certain things are. But then it came to a point where they came back, you know, after they were gone for the summer, but I still felt the same. It was bad. It was, um, I got really sick. Cause you know, the mind is so powerful that it can also, dictate everything else like because my mind was sick my body started getting sick you get what I'm saying I lost a lot of weight I was eating but it's like I, I wasn't eating I was like becoming shriveled up in life literally and I, I would go to the doctor and be like like hey what's going on I, I'm not okay people are looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm dropping so much weight so quick like Anybody that saw me, they're like, you lost so much weight. And then that made me feel worse. <laughs> and it was like, I was depressed. I was having anxiety attacks. But them saying that, it was just a, a bowl of mess. And then the doctor was like, okay, I don't see anything wrong with you. I'm like, am I dying or not? And it, it, it became so bad to the point I really thought I was going to die. Like, I, I went to my little sister. I was staying with her at the time. And I was like, hey, we gotta go to the bank, I gotta put your name on everything. Like, that's how bad it got. Like, I felt like there was no life for me. I felt, I felt horrible. Even think about it, thinking about it now, I love the growth I have now and the light I have now, but looking back at it, it's like, Man, it, it was deep. The, the hole was deep. Sometimes I prayed, I felt like my prayers weren't going past the ceiling. And you know, and it's just my mind. It all started with my mind. I, I let my guard down in my mind, mm -hmm. and then it caused, like, it was like a, 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 a whole chaos that happened, like a sliding slope. What are some ways your mind was working against you? Working, okay, first it all started with nightmares. I had nightmares that I was terminally sick, nightmares that I was dying, that just horrible nightmares. That's how it started. And at first I was like, that's weird. But I didn't really think anything of it. But then it's like the nightmares started becoming like, I don't know if this is a word, but daymares. <laughs> like, it was like the nightmares were like tumbling in my head during the day, like. Daydreaming. Yeah, but it's like not even daydreaming. It's like the, the horrible negative energy from the nightmares was becoming transversed into the day, into my everyday living and, you know, into my mind. And then it got to a point where it was like, I was just like, the world would be better without you. You know, just those thoughts. And, you know, those thoughts are not of God. So if it's something is not of God, you already know. You already know what time it is. But for me, it was so much, I felt like I couldn't fight. I felt like I was going to the point where it's, all right, it's time to tell everybody, like, hey, I'm about to be gone. And then in 2016 is when um, someone from back home, he passed. He was young. And um, he, was, he, he died of cancer, you know, rest in peace to him. And I went to his funeral and all I could think was, dang, I'm next. Which is crazy. It's like, how do you get that from going? You know, but that's how bad the thoughts were. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like, I would go out with friends and everything. It would be good. And then as soon as I go back home, it's kind of like, I 
don't know, like a cage. You're like, back with yourself again. Yeah. It was like, I wasn't okay. And I did not know how to express that to people. I'll talk about it. And even if I talked about it, I still wasn't okay. I prayed about it. And it felt like, I felt like God abandoned me. Just like Jesus was like in the garden and he was like, God, why have you forsaken me? I feel like, I feel like I got to that point. And then I'm like, then I kept going on with the world would be better without me. I'm worthless. And I got in with the wrong crowd, hanging out with people I have no business hanging out with, which was even worse. And then finally it got to a point where I went to a prayer because, um, you know, I went to Barry University and they're having like a Christian uh, worship night or something like that. So I was like, you know what? And I haven't been going to church. That's another thing. I stopped going to church. I, I I definitely wasn't reading the word. I definitely probably wasn't even praying. It was probably like a, hey, what's up, God? All right, bye, type situation. So my spiritual life was definitely on the downslide, the backslide. You get what I'm saying? So then afterwards, I went, I was like, all right, you know, let me just go to this uh, service, you know, check it out. I'm already on campus studying. So I go. And I feel the voice of God say, go over to that woman, which is she was um, a pastor and she was preaching that night. And, and it's funny cause she was preaching about self-worth and like she was preaching about suicide. She was saying how like, um, Sometimes you're battling. Basically, she was preaching about me. <laughs> let, let, she was preaching to me. Like, God was using her to speak to me. So, basically, that was the whole situation. And then I felt the voice of God say, go over to her. And I was like, what you talking about, God? I'm not going to go over to her. <laughs> and then it got to a point where it was like, all right, whoever needs prayer, come up. And, and I was like, and I don't even know if that's really the voice of God. And I was like, you know, I was just like questioning everything. And then God spoke again. He's like, go up to her. And I was like, I'm not going to go up to her. <laughs> you know, just being that's stubborn. That resistance. that resistance. And then it was a line of people praying for people. But then she became available and she went like this to me, which was like, ah, oh, my God. <laughs> and then she looked at me. She said, I feel like you're battling something. She was like, God is telling me you have a lot of problem with anxiety. Just like that. I don't know her name. She don't know my name, nothing. She was like, I feel like you battling a lot. A lot. You have problems with anxiety and this and that. She was like, I'm gonna pray for you. She was like, you're sick. And then, and then I was like, yeah, you know, I've been having stomach issues and um, I just haven't been, been good at all. And then she was like, I'm gonna pray for you. So she prays for me. And then I believe that same night I go home or the next day, I just become overwhelmed with the presence of God to the point where I could at least try to fight for myself. And I was like, all right, listen up, depression, anxiety, <laughs> time to have a meeting. Y'all got to get out. <laughs> just like that. I prayed a prayer and I was like, any force, any, any energy, any spirit that is not of God, get out of my life right now. Ever since then, my life been better. Ever since then, I've been free. And then she, I called her. I called her over the phone and then she prayed for me again. And then I don't know where it was. I don't know where my mind started getting better. Then my body started getting better again. Then it started working up to the, to, to where I am now, you know? And, and sometimes it takes, you got to command what's not meant for your life out of your life. Just like they say how powerful the tongue is, your words have power. It does. Like, just like the Bible say, God gave us dominion over this earth. Like, you get what I'm saying? And it wasn't people praying for me mm -hmm. that was gonna do that final pull. Yeah, she did pray for me, but it was making a way for me to gather up my, cause it was my mm -hmm. own battle. Mm -hmm. It was my own thing to fight. And finally to the point where I mustered up the courage and I was like, all right, we ain't finna do this no more. I'm not gonna feel like this anymore. And then finally, I, I, I didn't even pray. I commanded, I commanded and, and thank God, you know, God gave me the strength to do that. But I command, I was like, you gotta get out. You gotta get out. And then from then on, I've been free.
set free. That's beautiful. From depression, anxiety. That's that testimony right Woo. there, girl. Girl, you gotta say with all your heart. <laughs> right? About to make me shout on camera. On, girl, <laughs> shout. <laughs> we have yeah. a quick Kurt Franklin session Kurt. right now. <laughs> But God is good, like beautiful. All goes back when you God got when you gave good. God control over your life. Exactly. He gave you back control over your mind. Exactly. Because I wasn't really talking. To, I wasn't. I wasn't feeding my spirit. I was letting anything run my mind. I, I lost my position in the battlefield of my mind, and that's what caused the downfall. And then finally, you know, God armored me up, and I took back what was mine's. You know, we're going to we're going to keep it like that. Speaking of that, looking at you in the, those circumstances and, and that that wavy, that water, that boat mm -hmm. on that rocky road, what would be a, the message that would, you, would you tell yourself in that circumstance to help yourself get out of it? What would your message be? My message for battling depression and anxiety is don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on who you are. Don't feed into it. Don't feed into the thoughts. You're bigger than that. You're gonna make it through. There, that's why I love the whole thought of the sun setting. That just means there's a new day to be here tomorrow. You know, and the sun rising is new beginnings. Every day is a new beginning. That's why I'd be like, when I'm stressed or whatever from the day before. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna leave today and today because tomorrow got its own problems. And that's what the Bible says too. So. Tomorrow has its own light. It's own light. Never go right, into right, tomorrow right. expecting <laughs> problems. You're no, creating it for no, your life. No, no, you're right, you're right. Tomorrow. <laughs> But you get what I'm saying, though. It's like, do not be overwhelmed by yesterday. That's my whole point. Like, don't do it. It's not worth it. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Just say yes to today. Right. How can people get in contact with you? And how can people get your book and all the great things you have to offer? For my book, you can purchase both on Amazon. You just type in the title of the book, My Black is Beautiful, and then type in my name with it. Myra-Joanne, and then uh, Broken Crayon Still Color. You just uh, type in Broken Crayon Still Color, and then type in my name. Thank you. Thank you for writing. Thank you for writing. <laughs> thank you so much for <laughs> also for expressing all of that. that. That sense of vulnerability was amazing, and I really appreciate you being thank here. You, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's definitely a blessing and an opportunity to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to the Unlimited Power Show. My name is Edward Giles, and I want to remind you that you have the unlimited power in you to achieve whatever it is that you want, to express whatever it is that you want, to overcome whatever it is that you're going through. And until you believe that you have that power, the world will forever miss all your talents, all your books, all your gifts, all your abilities. Remember, let your light shine. Don't hide it. Don't dim it. Peace.